those who were involved in making it come to life. Join us as we go. Behind the door. Hello, thank you for coming to another episode of Behind the Door. I'm co-creator Brian Black at the Gray Rooms and all things Raymond and Bob. With me, we have voice actor Alistair Mackey. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. We have uh, my fellow co-creator, Jason Wilson. Hi. I figured you could get a good angle this way. There's a tree behind me, and the sun is coming down, and it's, it's toasting up my nice pasty skin. It doesn't get out very much, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, and also, we have the author of A Certain Man in Russia, Kelly Evans. Hi, guys. Thanks very much for having me. You're very welcome. And finally, we have our guest host for uh, this episode. Uh, you've probably listened to her on uh, <laughs> Girl Space and also her writing podcast right now, Sarah mm -hmm. Werner. Sarah, Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited for the chance to guest host behind the door. Um, just wanted to thank everyone who's tuning in live and then hello to everyone who will be listening later on the podcast. I'm really excited to be in a virtual room with so many talented people today. Um, so uh, a certain man in Russia, there was a lot of really cool stuff going on in this story. Um, the music was amazing. Um, I just want to jump in and ask... Um, Kelly, why Rasputin? Can you give us a little bit um, about uh, your background and why you chose uh, this very interesting person to write about and even maybe even start us off a little bit with what you usually write? Okay, sure. Um, but tell us everything, basically. <laughs> okay, so here's my life. Um, <laughs> basically, um, I, I'm, I'm a writer and I mostly write historical fiction. Um, now I do have a couple of um, like sort of history English degrees, and I've always been interested in history. So I've got a couple of novels out that are that are historical fiction. Um, I also am a huge fan of horror, like massive, right back to all the '30s and '40s movies and all the black and white classics. So I do a line of historical horror as well. Um, when I was a kid, and I think it was around I don't know early to mid '70s, a song came out by a group called Boney M called. Um, uh, Rasputin and not a lot of people know about it now and I know I, I mean I could play a little bit of it at some point because I've got it on my playlist I still listen to it to this day but when the story came out it was basically about Rasputin and the song told about how he slept around and they tried to poison him and then they shot him and they couldn't kill him and um, and I just became fascinated with this character as a kid and then later on, when I started studying history more seriously, I went through a massive Russian revolution phase, like like every kid does. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I'm also a huge fan of Fabergé. So I've, I've studied Fabergé an awful lot, the whole the Russian art and all of that stuff. And then when this opportunity came up, it was like, yeah, OK, I'm doing a little bit of a history with the Rasputin thing. And I just yeah, I just I don't know. I'm just fascinated by him. Absolutely. Oh. That is so fantastic. And so, um, but it started with the song. Oh, sorry, but it started with the song. So the title, A Certain Man in Russia, is actually the first line of the song by Boney M. That was going to be one of the questions. So I thank you for making that. Yeah. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit more about how like history and horror collide, because that's not <laughs> something you, you know, you hear about historical romance, historical mystery, you don't hear a lot of historical horror. So tell me a little bit more about this. Yeah, um, I've sort of been getting into, uh, so I was always interested in history. So I, I did my degrees in history and that. But when I was a kid, I used to sit with my dad on Sunday afternoon and watch a TV show outside my theater which was basically all the old monster movies. That's where I first saw Godzilla and all the other, you know, I'm team Mothra, by the way, when the new movie comes out, just one. <laughs> um, so, not. so the love of horror was there probably earlier than the love of history. And then the two worlds just collided when I started writing. Um, I got, again, as everybody does, it goes through the black death phase. Um, so I chose to write about, the Black Death. So I did about a year's worth of research on that period of time, the 1300s, um, and then wrote a zombie book about it. <laughs> As you do, it just, I just know, I just thought that, oh, it's funny how the early symptoms of some of the Black, the forms of the Black Death, if you twisted it, it could be something else. It could lead to something else. So there's a bit of confusion in my book. Does the person have the plague or do they have the zombie, what I call the Mordecarni? Yeah. Oh, I love that. And there's, there's so many ways that, Okay, so I'm on th I think unlike everyone else in this chat right now, I did not grow up on horror. I grew up on like mystery and sci-fi, and I only just recently discovered horror um, as an adult, like in my 30s. And I am loving it so much. Like I can't get enough. And one of the things I love is the possibility, the way that you can spin things like that, the way that you can reinterpret past events and the way that you can speculate future events uh, through this very weird lens. Um, so I would, I would love to, um, ask some really complicated questions about, you know, <laughs> how can we, how can we forecast? Yeah, but I won't. Um, instead I will just say, um, so I, I kind of want to ask Brian, um, and maybe Jason, if he is, depending where he is on his route. Um, <laughs> Uh, how it feels to like have to like go through all these stories if you solicit everything um, that ends up on the show or if you like how do you source uh, what ends up on the show and why horror and you may have answered this in a in a past behind the door but I'm just curious do you want me to start Jason I I don't know if I can even ask you <laughs> I'll just start so yeah I'll, I'll pop in man Sorry. okay <laughs> okay, we're good. Um, so I know Jason obviously had the idea. So I'll let him talk about, you know, the podcast and what that means to him. In terms of the story part of it, by the time I started being a part of the podcast, we didn't have a lot of time to get the stories together. Um, I think it was around maybe February of 2018. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, good. And we we wanted November of 2018 to start episode one. So we needed to have a lot of people come up with a lot of stories in a really quick and like a really fast amount of time. And the other thing is we basically um I think gave them till April to do it. And so I was going to people see at the time I had started to really get Twitter. I mean, I love Twitter. I just absolutely love it. I love the fact that I can socialize with people. 
as an individual, as a podcast, associating associating with other podcasts as a person. It's just really fascinating. And then you have the independent writer community. They're really close and upbuilding, encouraging to one another. The podcast community is really upbuilding and encouraging to one another. It's just like really great uh, to be a part of that. So I started building some friendships with people, started kind of getting to know them, seeing certain trends and certain people and how active they were. So those were people I went to and I said, hey, you know, can you write a story for us or do you have a story for us that might fit these rather interesting requirements? You know, the main (laughs) character has to die, you know, and um, it has to be, you know, this, you know, dark horror story and so, you know, so on and so forth. Um, And um, as great as it is, everyone that submitted a story to us that I had spoken to had turned in something that was really good. I never, you know, there are some times I had asked some people to kind of redo or, you know, do some revisions and we worked on it. But ultimately, um, no one ever really turned in anything that was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) It just worked out really well. And we... I made, we got even closer, all the authors, um, just through just talking to them and keeping them filled in with what we were doing. Uh, so for season one, for the main episodes, everything was done by Sherlock and just meeting people and talking to them. And it was, it was really great. Um, and how that worked out. Um, and then we had preseason episodes. Those were done by a contest. Um, nice two winners and they were shorter, more like flash fiction, the arachnophobia story um, and uh, lookalike. And Bo Chapel is actually in, in the chat room right now in uh, on YouTube kind of listening in. So, you know, and he, it was kind of neat. You know, we, we got to, to talk to those people. Um, we actually became active on Facebook because Candace green, who, um, one the who had written the arachnophobia story. I don't have a I didn't have arachnophobia exactly. Um, that story we couldn't get a hold of her. We're like, hey, you won, yay! And, and she never responded to the email. Didn't realize. <laughs> and all of a sudden, people are like, hey, does anybody know where this this girl is? Because we got to get a hold of her. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh, she's really active on Facebook. We'll let her know. And then I guess she was like really emotional about it and rolls that. And I'm like, okay, we got to go on Facebook to meet these other people that are submitting their stories because we got to find a way to, to reach them. So we did that because of Candace Green. So it's kind of neat. And then for season two, we did, we put out a whole bunch of ads and just kind of said, Hey, you know, we're looking, we, we, our submission uh, window is open. Uh, we ran it from November to March. And uh, it's kind of weird. We started asking people for stories before we even started season one officially i mean how crazy is that now we're st- now we're reading the stories we're, we're going through it and uh and picking those out so you know we'll, we'll give ourselves a couple months and then i guess boom we're working on season two it's it's fast you can't it. um you can't underestimate the importance of that uh, facebook support group as well that mm-hmm. candace helped create yeah. because ever since her arachnophobia story the entire thing has just been filled with links of deadly spider in australia deadly <laughs> spider in canada there's been bits about other episodes but it's predominantly been all about spiders and where to avoid ever since that episode <laughs> came out it's been brilliant and, and alistair mackey uh voices the little professor guy that kind of opens up the arachnophobia story 
uh, which was fun because I had to research, do my own research on spiders to write that little bit. And uh, oh man, Australia, what is wrong with this? We're not supposed to be there. We're not supposed to be there. <laughs> I mean, it's scary. <laughs> like one bite from that spider that uh, the Australian, oh man, now I forget after all that Australian. It was the funnel, funnel web spider. Funnel, yeah, the funnel web spider in Australia. Yeah. One bite from the female funnel web spider will just take you out in like 15 minutes. Like, yeah, that's hor- do you So, do you find that people, when they submit stories, they write about what is most horrifying to them personally? Yeah, I think I, I found a pattern, and it doesn't seem to me that people are scared of the supernatural as much. It doesn't seem to me that people are scared of, honestly, I mean, you know, everybody says, you know, you you write what you know in some way, shape or form, how you feel in your past or whatever is going to come out in your story. And people are afraid. I mean, they're, they're afraid of their neighbors. Now they're afraid to like talk to just people or, or make themselves open, uh, you know, to like intimate, um, you know, relationships with people that they know and everything. And I, a lot of the stories that we've been getting are about terrible human beings. It's not vampires. It's not werewolves. It's not the boogeyman. It's, it's not even really ghosts or demons or anything that traditionally you would look at in a horror movie or in a book. It's, it's becoming almost like a true crime thriller mm. type thing. It's like, it's like, honestly, if you look at most of the stories that the Grey Rooms has um, produced, few of them are about monsters or weird animals or something that is, you know, a lot of them are just about people that are very sick and twisted. And, you know, we had one ghost story. That was nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just one. Oh, I love that though. So that makes Rasputin just like such an excellent, uh, maybe fit for this series. Um, Kelly, I would love to hear more from you about uh, what it was like to write this character and then um, have Alistair act it and perform it. How how is it to have um, such a such a wonderfully talented person uh, combine their talents with your work and to and to hear how that came out? It was funny. I was saying this to Brian actually yesterday. Um, I got it like the little advanced copy of it. So we got to listen to it a couple of days ago. I listened to it again last night and it is so incredible. Um to the job that he did as the narrator and Rasputin, Rasputin's voice is amazing. It's like, it's so weird. Like there's something in my head and you guys have taken it and it's like now out there and it's just such a weird headspace thing to be in. Um, and I just want to say the music was absolutely incredible. It just, it just brought the words to life and it just added an extra weight to some of the head stuff that I was writing. Um, I wrote the story, actually, I didn't have it um, ready. I actually did write it specifically for um, The Grey Room. So it was kind of fun writing something sort of to order, I guess. Mm. Uh, but, it, but because I've also sort of a Rasputin fan, it wasn't actually that difficult. Um, I knew enough about him, about his religious beliefs and his background. Um, and I knew enough about Russia at the time to sort of understand where he was coming from and how he could, you know, worm his way into the, the aristocracy the way he did. But actually hearing it with the voices, Alistair, man, you just did a fantastic job. It was amazing. Well, thank you. It was a a pleasure to have such lovely words to read. (laughs) (laughs) 
So um, do you do this a lot? Do you get to play multiple parts in the same piece a lot? I mean, what is that like for you as an actor? Um, it's interesting. I mean, the, the, I'm very new to the voiceover game uh, itself. I only started uh, maybe beginning of March last year, I think, uh, sort of dipping my toe into the world of voice acting. And it was it was Graham, uh, Graham Roat, who pulled me in and pulled me on board for the Grey Rooms after he heard, I'm now listening back to it, a diabolical audition on Casting Call Pro. <laughs> but he saw something. He saw something and uh, drafted me in to do the, uh, it was the arachnophobia one was my first one, actually. Um, and this, this A Certain Man in Russia, um, yeah, your episode, Kelly, has been has been the first one that I've been able to narrate, been able to uh, sort of just use not my own voice because I try and avoid using the Scottish accent too much to avoid confusing people. Uh, so I'll, I'll dial it back and go BBC for when I'm doing narration. Um, but I've had the joy of playing lots of like little bit characters all the way through the Grey Rooms, um, uh, like Todd. Um, from the Patreon series is 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 a is a personal favorite of mine because he's a, a lovable Cockney stooge. Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, which is uh, always fun, always fun. Um, and I was the the warden in Cellbot B. I I was in I was a couple of uh, privates in uh, the Great War, our, our first episode, which I was Brian wrote. Um, and I've been in a couple of other Patreon episodes as well. And I I love doing voices. Um, the reason I wanted to start being a voice actor and getting into that sort of thing was ever since I was about, I'd say, nine or ten, I had an obsession with that scene in Mrs. Doubtfire when Robin Williams is trying to... Uh, he's, he's at the, the the benefits office and he's, I am job. I love it to be in America. That that whole bit. And I've been obsessed with that film ever since. It's always about the voices for me. Um, so being able to play lots of different voices is is just a dream come true. It, it it really is. You see those different characters put on the page, and you have to try and make one voice sound like a multiple different load load of different voices. Uh, and yeah, it's incredibly good fun, and it's something I can do from home as well, which is really really nice because uh, I'm I'm sure I'm a, I'm a new father, um, and uh, I, that means I don't get out of the house much. So it, it's it's nice that I can still find time to perform from home. Wow! And congrats. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, for those of us who are not good at doing voices, um, maybe there are some people listening who are interested in getting into voice acting. I mean, is it just, is it repetition? Is it just listening to a lot of people? What's the, what is the key to good voice acting? Um, well, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, that's a very big question. Uh, for me, it's, it's good direction and good writing. Uh, they, they inform pretty much all that you do. So, um, I, I love a director who's happy to give feedback. I love a producer or a writer that's happy to give feedback. Uh, I never want them to be sort of half pleased with what I've come up with. Um, but yeah, for me, it's in the writing. The characters are always there. So you can generally pull something out of, of what's there, a good first impression. And then all that needs is sort of sanding down and rounding off by a good producer or by a good writer. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I would, I would read the source material. Um, I would don't just read the lines you're given, hmm. like read the actual script, read, read the whole, particularly if you're a, you're a bit piece, you need to see how you fit into the world. Uh, and likely if you're just starting out, you're going to be getting smaller roles. You're going to be getting the NPCs on someone else's quest. So it's good for you to be able to have a look at the, the world around that. And you'll get more of an idea of the vision that the writer had for where those characters are going. That's, that's where I go for a voice and where I go for a character. Uh, Cause as I said, they are all just small variations on one voice. Um, and you have to be able to make those different variations unique. So 
Um, yeah, just just play around. It is in terms of picking up accents and stuff like that. Um, we've got more resources now available than ever on YouTube for for sort of um, accent tutorials. Uh, I have the benefit of being able to do a multitude of British accents because I've lived all over Britain. I, I grew up down in South Wales. I was born in London uh, and my family are Scottish. I have an Irish heritage as well. So I can sort of parrot and jump back and forth between a lot of different uh, British dialects, which is quite hard to do for American voice actors. Uh, whereas my American accent is either Matthew McConaughey or neutral. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. It's South or nothing. It's just a bit <laughs> So that's what I have to work on. <laughs> South or nothing. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> like, I've, I've got a drawl or I'm sort of just California baseline. Like. <laughs> I love that. Kelly, for you, um, we, we talked a little bit about how it was to experience your story, sort of hearing it back uh, after you wrote it. But while you were writing it, um, you wrote it specifically for uh, the Grey Rooms. Uh, did you have to change the way that you wrote it because you knew it was going to be performed? And I, I'm embarrassed. I don't know if it's audio. It was going to be performed audibly, audioly, whatever the word is there. Um, I, I, I did. Um, I guess I, I misunderstood the instructions when they first, when Brian first got in touch with me. <laughs> um, so I did. I think I wrote it in the wrong tense. I think I wrote it in the third person instead of the first, or some. I don't know. I think there was a problem with the tense, um, and I think I gave it a bit of an introduction that didn't need it to be there. So Brian actually completely, legitimately sent me comments back. Um, I fixed what needed to be fixed and it was fine. So it was really good working with him. He was very sensitive to the fact that yes, all writers have an ego. Um, so he was, you know, very constructive in the criticism, not just like fix this or else. Um, so that was, so it was good, really good working with him. And then, um, yeah, just hearing it. I, I mean, I, I hadn't actually looked at the story, um, since I actually sent it in like the final version. Um, cause I didn't want to be familiar with it. Cause I noticed when I write something, I can write something at night. Like I write till about two or three in the morning. My best writing period is early in the morning. And then the next morning I'll sort of have, for, I'll go into like a, I don't know, a little trance. And then the next morning I'll have mostly forgotten what I've written. So it was kind of awesome. It was like hearing someone else's story. And there was a couple of lines in there when I thought, Oh, they, they, they were just so delivered so well. I was like, I don't think I wrote that. I'm sure Brian must've thrown that in. You know, I honestly don't think I wrote those words. Someone else must have edited it. It was just so well done. It was beautifully done. No, I, I did not edit her words. <laughs> that was all <laughs> Kelly Evans. She can be proud of herself. She deserves it. And, yeah, uh, don't ask me if I did anything. I can tell you something right now. Uh, writing is not my strong point. I'm an audio guy. But it was just, it's just such an awesome feeling hearing your own words being performed. It's just, uh, just amazing. Well, I'd say for me, being able to, to, to run through that, um, that you're writing and being able to give the chance to perform that uh, what i liked about the way it was written personally was it had a very almost lyrical feel and direction mm -hmm. to it which i really appreciated it was uh it's something i've liked about the last few episodes of the gray rooms particularly ground level um i come from previously to this i come from a, a spoken word background a slam poetry background uh, from this hashtag actually a, a sly plug within a plug um <laughs> for the loud poets in edinburgh which is a, a, a spoken word group i worked with here and to be able to read something which flows so well and flows so lyrically and has such a direction to it um is an absolute pleasure and you should and i'm very impressive um it really it really is lovely to find a piece of prose that flows so beautifully well i'm, I'm thank you so much for saying that um i guess i just i the writing was a little bit on the heavy side 
but it's because the whole topic is a bit heavy. When you think of Russia, um, you think of sort of Russian literature. I always like to think of it as, and I'm not being disparaging. I'm just, I just, if you were, if you sort of look at the period um, literature from England, like Thomas Beckett and things like that, you kind of get a sense of a, um, I mean, I know that paragraph long sentences, but you kind of get a sense of like a, a brown wash sort of thing, whereas Russia is like a gray wash and it seems very heavy and the literature is like you can, the, the books you can use as doorstops. So I wanted a little bit of heaviness to my story just to reflect the fact that the whole Russian culture, but I didn't want it to be so mired down in, oh, we're a bunch of, you know, there's doom and gloom and everybody hates each other and we're all losing wars, etc. So I had to kind of balance it a little bit. <laughs> It was was very beautifully written. written. I was just going to say, because that doesn't sound like the great rooms at all. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, so much of good podcasting relies on good writing. And so having that as the foundation is just such a perfect place to start. The funny thing about writing for the great rooms actually is also opened my mind, like it's opened my eyes to sort of I'll be watching a TV show and a lot of the time, so as a writer, I'll, I'll read a book and it, sometimes it's difficult to get away from, oh, I would have done that differently in that book. Oh, she used the same word twice on the same page. You know, like I go into editor, I go into writing, editing mode sometimes when I'm reading a book. Um, but now when I'm watching a TV show or something, I'm thinking, consciously thinking, wow, those words that that person is speaking, someone wrote those. Like, I can't, it's just, it's a weird disconnect when you're watching TV as a, as a writer, um, you can just escape so fully into it that you don't realize that someone put pen to paper and actually had to write that first. And then, so being involved in this whole process has really sort of expanded my horizons. Love it. Some people have said to us, you know, well, do you want the story that we submit to you in a script format or do you want it actually is just, you know, prose? I'd rather have it in, in prose because like, I'd rather be able to see paragraphs and sentences and kind of give the, give the person like Alistair an opportunity to kind of really read into the character more than just, you know, the descriptions that you see in a script. I'd rather kind of build on their feelings a little bit more from reading things like, like Kelly. I think that we're missing out a little bit if we would just kind of tell the story, just straight down, you know, start to finish script format, just focusing on the characters. I like, we can focus on the narrative. And I think I, I don't know what you, Jason, you think that helps you too? Like, I personally am not a, a fan of scripts just because I, when I like, when I was listening to certain man, I had an idea of where I wanted to go with it. Uh, just because I know the story of Rasputin. And I, I, by the way, when I read it, I was like, this is awesome. I figured I was excited because Rasputin's always been a mysterious character to me. I just always thought it was amazing. And then when I heard Alistair, I knew Alistair was going to deliver because I've just been blown away by. Alistair's exceptional talent, and he just has a velvety voice. It's just a really good job. And uh, I knew he was going to do a great job. And when he started talking, that very first sentence, uh, when he was talking about being over the child, and then he did his Russian accent, I said, okay, mm-hmm. I know what I'm going to do with this. And and by I think that having a script format would really eliminate the movie that goes on in here. When mm-hmm. I'm creating a story, I'm literally watching a movie in here. And so that's, I would prefer no scripts, but um, I agree with Brian hundred percent. I do think that the prose format allows the actor more freedom and that gives me more freedom. So let's just do it that way. That'd be nice. No, I a hundred percent agree. The, the prose, the prose format um, sort of led into um, what I was saying before about being able to feel the world that the writer wanted to create and, and the feeling that the writer wanted to create and that, that atmosphere 
And that is how you create a vocal performance for it. And you lead the story in that direction, being able to have that narrative rather than just the, the scripted lines. Uh, whilst the scripted lines obviously are helpful within the prose to have that, to be the ability to create that feel with the writer and, and with obviously JM um, doing the amazing composition he did for it is, mm. is so much mm. more helpful and gives you such a wider ability to, to create a space. Um, it was the first time I'd ever tried a Russian accent, so I'm glad it came off well. That was one I checked up on YouTube. That was definitely one I checked up on YouTube. I, was, I actually was going to ask you about that. Did you try out like a couple of different voices before you landed on the one for Rasputin? Because it's actually just really well done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I did. I did. They all came a little bit uh, out sounding like I was piloting the Enterprise for a while. Um, <laughs> So I was like, I'm going to have to go deep with this. I'm going to have to go deep. Uh, and I went into a couple of tutorials to to figure out sort of the nuances of the Russian accent, um, how, how, what they do with the W's and V's. They also do with M's and R's as well. Um, there's a lot of blending of letters, uh, particularly consonants, which which was fun to try, fun to try. It's something I hadn't done before. Um, so, yeah. Very cool. Gosh. So it sounds like a lot of research went into the voice acting. A lot of research went into probably the writing. Um, I'd never really thought of Rasputin as a like a holy figure or a religious figure, but it's that's how it kind of leaned in the story. Um, how much of this did you have to research specifically for um, a certain man in Russia? And then like how much of this did you just already know because you're already a, a historical writer? Um, I, I normally write about um, England, like so the Middle Ages in England, so the, the 1300s. I also have um, my, my first novel and a couple of other ones I'm working on um, are Anglo-Saxon England. So I'm pretty much at like a medievalist England. But I did, for some reason, um, yeah, the song got me interested when I was a kid, but there wasn't the internet or anything, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Um, but I went out and, and got a book on Russian history when I was quite young and didn't understand most of it. Um, and then later on, when I was living in England, I, I, I guess I think my in-laws were living in Russia at the time. So I became interested in Russian history again. And then that's when the whole uh, Rasputin thing reared its head. And I, I went through and just researched. I got books on him and read, you know, biographies about him and things like that. So I didn't have to do a lot of research. Um, I did have to do a little bit of research with regard to his influence over the czar um, with regard to the the world war because mm. um, I wasn't clear on exactly what decisions were made and who the main players were. Um, and even though that didn't come into the story, so I did a lot of research on that, but it only ended up in like one line, one throwaway line in the, uh, in the actual story. Um, but I tend to do more research than I need just to make sure that the stories that I tell are, you know, more legitimate. Yeah. Yes. And I, I appreciate that. And speaking of research too, um, the the music that was written specifically for this episode um who who can speak on that because i it it was such a subtle thing but it was just so present and it just added so much i'd love to hear more about the music and the research that went into that yeah it's unfortunate actually jm was going to be with us today but he had something come up and uh, he was like oh man i can't make that sorry but uh jm literally he sent me a text message and he, I think he spent about a week while researching Russian heritage and history and Russian music. And he just went on to like a YouTube tangent, I guess. And he just kind of got his kind of got his feet wet, really got his really got his fingers sticky. And then he just started writing. And uh, yeah, I, I got to tell you, if you if you haven't listened to every 
Grey Room's story, you're definitely going to notice when JM actually started becoming integrated into the, the stories because his musical composition, the guy is a the guy is an artist in multiple levels. I mean, he is an absolute creative genius when it comes to that. And and the fact that he loved the story so much that he wanted it to be as authentic as possible goes to show you how truly dedicated his craft he is. So yeah, he, he knew what he was doing because he wants to make sure that when his fingerprints are on the story, that, it, that everybody's going to walk away feeling exactly what we've been hearing, that the music was very impactful. So kudos to JM big time for that. I actually asked JM uh, to give me some some notes or something, you know, that I could kind of carry on to the, um, you know, from him and so get some little tips as to what he was uh, working on. And he basically said that, uh, um, like Jason said, he was working on the uh, Russian music uh, before he started writing it. He said all the instruments that he used were similar to old Russian folk music. Um, he says he used guitars, harps, orchestral instruments, and, and of course, uh, the strong male choir. And he said the most Russian music is in a minor key, even their national anthem. So I guess I don't, I'm, I don't really have a lot of music theory and so I don't know what, what all that means with <laughs> the minor key, but I, apparently um, I guess he found it uh, kind of easy to jump into is my guess from that. And uh, once he kind of got some of those videos down pat, he was able to kind of work on an authentic soundtrack for us. Uh, so that's so incredible. And what an asset to the show. My gosh. Yeah, one thing that they were telling us, uh, I think No Sleep uh, podcast, they have a, uh, a composer uh, specifically scoring their episodes. And uh, I think he reached out to JM because I guess there was a thing where they're trying to make like a Twitter group for people in podcasts that compose music. And there really wasn't a lot of people that actually do that. Um, so, you know, there's definitely uh, JM out there and one of the things he was saying is he does kind of plan on maybe releasing an album down the road with like fuller versions of the music that he was scoring for uh, our, our show. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that was Brandon Boone from the no sleep. I remember talking to JM on the phone. We were uh, just having a conversation about um, uh, the patron series that we're working on. We have another, believe it or not, the gray rooms podcast has another, podcast inside of it that's just for our patrons and me and jm were uh talking about music for that and that's what he said that brandon told him that he's he searched the globe on the internet and he only found that it was jm and brandon were the only two podcast composers that were out there two wanted two the gray rooms and no sleep so i mean what do you got to do? I, I found another one though the amelia podcast <laughs> the amelia podcast has another composer that does that. Uh -oh. So we need to we need to get those three guys together. Yeah, and um, yeah. Marsfall has its own composer. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. well, I hope you guys are taking notes. JM, JM. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's locked in the back of Jason's truck. That's, that's how he gets the music out of him. <laughs> hey, one thing uh, we were talking about uh, accents and things. I think uh, it would be kind of cool to to bring Max in. It's kind of neat. Not every day do you have um, a podcast where you have 
actual, you know, couples, husbands, wives, kids, whatever, working together. Um, Jason and his wife um, have actually worked together on our podcast as Raymond and his wife, Lucy. Um, but also uh, we have um, <laughs> Kelly, who had written a story, and her husband, Max, it was uh, Prince Felix in oh. the, uh, A Certain Man in Russia. And I believe he can do uh, all kinds of different accents. Um, yeah, listen, I am, I am what is known as a uh, rank amateur. <laughs> oh, no. It's been no, the no, devil's no, no, asshole, no, are you? No, 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 no. This was, this was like my first thing ever. And Kelly was like, they need people. Give it a bang. And I thought, okay, well, I'll give it a, I'll give it a go. But honestly, I can't imagine what a nightmare it was for you lot on the other end. Because they, I said, yeah, I'll do it. And then I wouldn't do it. And they'd send me an email and it'd be like, hey, Max, how you doing? Have you done that thing? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. And then I'd take, it took a huge amount of time for me to do it. I'd be like, I couldn't figure out what software to use. So anyway, you were extremely patient. Thank you very much. It was hugely entertaining. But I am a rank amateur. I'm not like, I'm not like Alistair. Is it, man, you did, man, you did a really good job. You did a really good job. Oh, no, mate. I listened to it and I was like, I sounded like I was seven miles away from the microphone. It sounded like I was calling in an airstrike. But it no. worked really well for the note because it sounded like the note was a little bit of an echo. It was yeah. perfect for when you No, I mean, the, the entire thing, I was blown away by. I thought it was amazing. I couldn't believe I had anything to do with it, to be perfectly honest. So thank you very much. It was hugely fun. Alistair, you might you have something in common. Max does accents like all over the planet. So that Russian accent that Max actually did for Felix, he, he walks around the house talking in a Russian accent. Sometimes I get French, sometimes I get Spanish, sometimes I get, you know, it's just he just does accents off the top of his head for the hell of it. I'm a Canadian, basically. So my um, parents moved around a huge amount when I was a kid. So we were always living in different countries, and English was never the sort of main language. And so I'm a chameleon. You do what you need to do to sort of like fit in and have nobody notice you, right? So, yeah, I just kept doing it. I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you because there's there's no way I'm getting served in London, London speaking like this. It doesn't work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I went to public school for nine years. And so my natural accent is, is you know, Oh, it's RP, darling. You've got you. Yeah, you've got, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. It's, it's been trained. It's been trained so that I can be presentable in, you know, polite company. Absolutely, because I tried really hard to sort of grind the edges off that. Because <laughs> at any moment, one could be introduced to the Queen, and, and one well, one never knows. Mummy and Daddy were, were were quite well off, so. Um, <laughs> this is a wonderfully British line we're going down right now. Like the, the Americans um, can't follow. No, so, so my dad, my dad. Yeah. My dad used to sort of employ all sorts of special people, so diplomats and stuff were on the agenda. So you, you had to be able to adjust to whoever you were talking to at the time. Alistair, you said perhaps you might be able to meet the Queen. Can I tell you that one of my pride and joys, my father was in the military, so he was stationed at Milton Hall, and, uh, and uh, we lived in Lakenheath Air Force Base down there. I don't know where exactly in... Uh, UK that is because I was a, a little guy but uh, I went out on a flight line with my father to help pick up debris one day as a family event and lo and behold royal family showed <laughs> up God. and because uh, we, we, we were at Heathrow we were at Heathrow right and a royal family showed up and guess who got a picture shaking hands with Prince Charles this guy 
hand in hand with the royal family, as it should be. <clears throat> Just gonna leave it like that. <laughs> so I met I met the prince. Oh, he's a lovely man. Yeah. He's a lovely man. Yeah. He speaks very highly of you. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've actually never met a member of the royal family. I did when I was younger meet Gaddafi, but I've oh, never wow. met, but I've oh, never met a member of the British royal family. <laughs> Oh. Awesome. Sorry, Sarah, we get derailed a lot. <laughs> no, this is fantastic. I actually wanted to mention, because I knew Sarah asked earlier, and I did want to ch chime in, but you're talking about the whole horror element. Um, I asked about, like, I, I think it was, uh, you asked uh, why you were into horror or what got you into horror or whatever. Yes, like yes. I don't know. I've just been always into it. I don't know why. Like, even when I was a kid and I watched movies like... Uh, Star Trek, which my favorite one was Wrath of Khan, and then uh, the uh, the original, and then um, you know, uh, like whatever, uh, even Transformers. Heck, look, look at look at this lameness right here. Look at that. You see that? <laughs> I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. I've always, I've always been fascinated. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got I got my whole my whole right leg is a freaking Decepticon statue, but it's like I don't know. I've always just been into like the darkness of things and. Uh, and all that stuff. And this horror, I stumbled across Evil Dead 2 one night, and I just fell in love. Just the, the, the thrill ride of how it made me feel inside, how being how scared I was, terrified by that movie. And I just fell in love with it. And ever since then, I've just been a big fan of just the horror genre in general. And the Grey Rooms was because of a dream I had. Really? I literally woke oh. up, and I, I never used to remember my dreams, but I would always remember how they made me feel. And so I used, I, somebody told me when I was in college to take a, have a dream journal. So I went and bought a uh, little notebook and kept it next to my bed. And I woke up and it was fresh in my mind, just the concept of this guy waking up in the room, the two door, blah, blah. Well, fast forward a decade later, here we are. And that was Raymond and Bob. Yeah, it was, that was the whole, that was the whole concept of the story. Um, yeah. Raymond, it, he didn't have a name, kind of named him as it went, but yeah, it was, uh, it was Bob, too, because there was this out-of-body voice that I always felt that should have been involved in it. But, yeah, the, the whole concept of the Grey Rooms was from a really screwed-up dream I had in college. And I want to blame that on Natty Ice, 30-pack of Natty Ice, probably. <laughs> My God, it's not like you're going to get hit by a car, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I just dropped off an IRS bill to that guy, so... Ooh. It's very possible. <laughs> oh my God, that's the great rooms right there. <laughs> Why do we seek that out, though? Why do we seek that out? Is it the thrill? Is it the adrenaline? Is it the possibility? Like, what is it about horror? Yeah, yeah. I personally think it is like a, I think it is a thrill seeking. I kind of really do, like, I really do think it's who doesn't like to kind of be scared? Why are haunted houses not just so popular in freaking Halloween? Why, why when you go to any of these horror movies and normally just everybody who's into horror just like absolutely massively into horror? I think it is a thrill-seeking kind of a, a rush. And then in my personal opinion, everything else is written like garbage for the most sense. Like when it comes to movies and stuff like that, it's just... It's like, blah, okay, I'm sitting there watching a movie. Uh, five minutes into this, I know where this is going to go. Mm. You know, I, I, I watch a horror movie. 
I might have a general idea if it's like a slasher, which I love Jason movies. I mean, I have my name's Jason, a little bit of a bias there, but um, <laughs> that's roughly it. My father tells me that's why he named me. Yeah. That's not I loved that horror movie. Yeah, yeah, so I guess I was born and bred to do this. But other, other than that, I can sit there and watch a horror movie and literally just walk out of there. I, do you, I, I don't know how this happened. Well, that happened. That was great. Awesome. Well, I don't know. Horror movies get me excited. That and sci-fi movies. Yeah. Which I think is the reason why I love the friggin' heck out of Girl in Space to that sci-fi aspect. That's <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I keep saying my next show is going to be horror, so keep an eye out for that. I don't know if I'll do it right, so I'll be looking to you to be like, yeah, hmm, hmm. One, one that there, are, um, there have been studies, though, that have shown that horror has actually helped people that suffer anxiety. Um you know, because of the fact that when you watch a horror movie that you know that isn't real, it helps kind of distract mm -hmm. you from the things that might actually really terrify you in life. So the fact that we know in most situations like Jason Voorhees isn't real and things like that, or, you know, or even something like A Quiet Place, you know, we know that these things, at least right now, aren't a possibility that's going to be, you know, ruining our lives. And I think just like the fact that why do we read stories? Why do we watch movies? We want to escape. And knowing, you know, for some people and, you know, the fact that horror is just another one of those ways that we can kind of escape from our own lives and kind of delve into the worlds of others. I mean, I think, too, that every aspect of any genre has horror elements in it anyways. Yeah. I mean, you know, so you have Star Wars, you know, which, I mean, can have horror in it. I mean, I'm sorry, but those Ewoks were horror. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. Willy Wonka, horror. I mean, come on. Like those, you know, I mean, really, when you come to think of it, whether it's something that makes us feel creepy, um, something that makes us, you know, that unnerving feeling, anything like that, is it really goes back to, to horror and kind of being unsure of ourselves, worrying about people. I mean, what would you call Lost? Wasn't Lost kind of a, a horror show in the fact that, okay, we survived the plane crash. Now we got to figure out how to survive, which is pretty terrifying when you don't have any hope. Then you have some kind of monster out there that's attacking people. And then you have these numbers that are causing all kinds of problems. I mean, horror is in so many different things. And I think people are horror fans. They want to feel like Jason said. They want to feel that rush, that adrenaline, uh, that something is happening and you don't know what. But on the long, but on the other end of it, I don't think they really they associate horror with like the '80s slasher movies, and they don't realize that it's way more than that. That every genre um, dips into it in some way. Absolutely. I think with what uh, uh, Jason said about narrative and how horror movies are generally more interesting than a lot of other uh, mediums, so like say with a Jason Bourne film, for example, you know at the end of the film Jason Bourne's going to win. Mm. You know he's he's going to complete the mission. It's going to happen. There might be a few twists and turns in the way there, but he's going to get it done. Horror, you don't have that assurance. You don't have that definite narrative set in place. You do if you're looking at parodies of things like 80 slashers, like you were talking about. But when you look at things that are coming out, like things like It Follows or things like Get Out, you're looking at mm -hmm. the horror genre is where ingenuity is coming in it, to a certain degree in sci-fi as well, because you have that blank canvas and you don't have to meet audience expectations. You can set new ones, uh, and that is why those genres are really exciting 
I love that. I love that point. And it's interesting because I, I write too, and there are definite routes and expectations that you need to take if you're writing a mystery, if you're writing a romance, but you're right, horror, there's no template for it. It's just kind of, you get to play in this creative realm. I mean, Kelly, have you kind of found the same thing as a, as a writer of horror and historical? I find that I'm, I'm a lot more, um, I don't want to say restricted, but I have to be a lot more careful with the historical mm. fiction because historical fiction writers are, and again, they're, they're, they're wonderful people and they're wonderful writers. And I love that they love history as much as me, but they really are picky. Like I'm mm. one of them. I will pick apart something that's so badly written that, you know, oh, that didn't happen on that date. And, you know, that person wasn't, you know, that sort of thing. But with horror, um, no, it's, it's a wide open canvas. You pretty much can, as long as the story justifies the actions or as long as the story um, or the actions justify the character's feelings, um, as long as that sort of thing is consistent. So the same sort of um, rules that you have for any storytelling. Yeah. Then with horror, there's just so much more freedom to, to, to do what you want. I love that. And that's really exciting as a creator. Well, that's one of the reasons I set my horrors in the 14th century is because not only do I have the actual horror element of the Morta Carney, I also have the horror of everyday life. I've got um, like a, a medieval amputation scene. I've got, you know, various other, you know, a burn being treated and all of that stuff has been researched and is the way they would have treated things back then. Um, my main character is a, a like a, he's a monk, but he's a physician. Um, so he, he knows his stuff. And just the horror of the day-to-day -day life sometimes when you can you can pick out examples um added to the overall horror of the whole novel yeah like even not having toilet paper is sort of horrifying to me so that's <laughs> single ply maybe a little single bit of like, oh, no. <laughs> oh i love that thank you for sharing that um I feel like there's um, so many more questions I should be asking. Like, what what else should I be doing in, in my role as guest host here, you guys? World domination. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> I do have that on my list. So that's good. You need, to, uh, you need to push Brian and Jason. You need, you need to push Brian and Jason for details about upcoming seasons and spoilers. That's what you have to do in behind the scenes. Yes. Okay, okay. So um, how far is season two in the works? I know that you're sort of collecting stories. You're in that process of looking what's been sent to you and what's been submitted. Um, how is that whole thing going? And when do we get a taste? Well, um, you'll get a taste, a very, very small taste, post-credits, episode 13. <laughs> That's very exciting. No idea. And, uh, yeah. No idea. What's that, Jason? <laughs> oh, no, I just no said idea. no idea. I have no idea. Have no idea. None. No idea. One of the, one of the things about the way that I kind of work with like the Raymond and Bob storyline with um, season one is that, you know, I do have a story I'm trying to tell with his background and, you know, where they're going as characters and the, you know, and where and who they are. Um, mm -hmm. But also I try to piggyback off of Raymond's experiences and all the stories that he's basically um, enduring uh, throughout those episodes. And so he has to kind of react to everything. So it, 
that's why I'd like to make sure that we have all the stories, you know, at least kind of picked out and plotted in order at a very early stage so that I can kind of like look through the stories and kind of have these characters react to them and move on. Um, that being said, we do have the setting, uh, the situations, the, you know, the, the people that we want to kind of work with and, and stuff kind of set up. Um, there's still some discussions that we have to have with it, but uh, I mean, generally like the, the, I guess the plot of season two is pretty much in here. Uh, I kind of fleshed it out in my head. Just need to, you know, start knocking down the dominoes, so to speak, I guess. Um, and then, you know, even season three, I have some ideas, you know, kind of for it. Um, I pretty much, you know, told Jason from the get go that the way I, I work is I'll take a small you know, I can, I'll take a small story and whether I want to or not, it becomes bigger, you know, a bigger universe that, that happened from it. Um, and being that I had like a room, a light bulb and a chair <laughs> and a table to work with for a year, <laughs> you know, I gotta, I gotta, gotta open things up a bit and give myself something more to play with, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I guess that's really all I can say, but it's definitely, uh, it's going to be fun. Um, we'll have some new themes. You know, I've been teasing, uh, teasing that uh, Church of the One a little bit, and uh, we'll see where that goes. There'll be a little bit more information of that in the future. And um, actually, it was kind of neat. I wanted to get, I was, I was talking to everyone doing our art, and I said, you know, we got to have like a logo for this church of the one like we need a really cool like thing so we can have t-shirts you know like like you know fans will just like start you know worshiping this thing no i'm just kidding but anyway the, the idea though is is that you know to have this fake religion we need to do something with it and um yeah so i ended up kind of i think like figuring some things out um i really started to kind of look more into like uh the japanese zen type stuff for this so it's gonna be kind of neat we'll, we'll kind of we'll, we'll we'll see where this uh we'll see where this goes but uh you know i can't wait i think maybe maybe a good way to to kind of start teasing things like that is maybe once we get this thing figured out i might stick it on my back wall or you know <laughs> just like you'll see like the the thing there but you won't you know see it anywhere else so it's gonna be fun it's i definitely uh can't wait uh, to go through the story um, and kind of do things. But I will say, and I'm surprised because Alistair, he said you need to read the whole story first when you do a line. But he also told me he didn't read all of uh, episode 13 because he didn't want to spoil the story. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> different. That's different. That's different. That's like the finale of the season. So I like, <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much of it because I, yeah. I, I've, uh, even the little bit that I've I've seen, uh is is spoiler heavy so uh no i i want to find out what's going to happen when it's a finished product so yeah that was that, that was different that was different that was a, that, that's a cumulative that's a, a a cumulative story that's different one of the problems i think uh, i pointed out multiple times that we've never changed is that we don't just send somebody their lines we send them the whole story <laughs> yeah 
So like every single person, even if they had like one line to read, they know all 22 pages of this story. Like if somebody wanted to just ruin it for everybody. Did you get that? He said 22 pages. (laughs) Audio of 22 pages. Poor Jason, I'm sorry. Your face is frozen right now. I know. (laughs) No, no, I'm keeping it still so I can just make a point. (laughs) I, you know, it's so bad. I was like, Jason, this is, this is, this is uh, longer than the other ones because I try when doing the intros. You know, I try to keep it around like eight pages or so, Hmm. thinking like was like a page a minute or something like that or something. But when you. At least for like a script. I mean, but when I actually <gasps> took the amount of words I had and converted that to you know, the average, like I don't know, I guess minutes, the person would read it, like on an you know, just like an average kind of speed, and uh, whatever the internet. And the internet does anything. You can ask it to do whatever. But it turned it into like ninety some minutes. So it's oh my gosh, somewhere around there. It's it's yeah, it's like, yeah. The finale is gonna be a long one. So get your popcorn. <laughs> Put on your comfy shoes and uh, yeah, be ready. You don't want, so uh, exciting though. Don't want to do a Harry Potter and split it into two parts. I wondered if we're gonna. Uh, have no, that's that's how I'm doing it with, for editing. Yes, because there's not enough bourbon in my. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, even like I remember, you know, Sarah, you were talking about your episode 13, which is the last one for your season, and you were saying the same thing. You wanted to have a longer episode to kind of wrap things up so yeah absolutely and now I'm I'm regretting it slightly um just because it's it's so hard it's so freaking hard it's it's a delight and I love what I do but it's so hard and uh finales are weird I've never ended anything I'm a I'm a very good project starter I love starting new projects I am very very bad at finishing them um, and I don't know if you found that too in, in working on the finale, but it's it just seems, well, by its name, so final. Uh, and you want to make sure you're cramming everything in there that needs to be in there. Um, did you kind of have a similar, uh, a, a similar what do I want to say, experience maybe uh, with your finale as well? <laughs> the title of the story is Everything Ends. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's funny because... So, so what he's saying is that our first season ends on a high note. It's all happy and oh, yeah. cotton candy and stuff. Sounds there. like it. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like it. Very upbeat. I've been telling people that the Grey Rooms is uh, punk for years. Well, not years, our first year. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's so funny because I, I did discover after I started it, I was like, okay, I got this. I had it in my head. Um, I don't really enjoy writing outlines as a writer. I write everything up here. And then I discover the problem is, is I've already written it up here. And now to translate it back to page, it kind of almost gets not boring, but it's just like, man, I did this already, you know, my head, you know, and (laughs) you want to say something about that? (laughs) I'm the same way. Um, I just whispered, I'm the same way for those of you listening in. Um, no, it's, it's, it's both a wonderful and a terrible way to work. And I would love to hear, um, Kelly's thoughts on this too. Um, yeah, no, there's plotters and pantsers. So people who outline and plot and then people who write by the seat of their pants, I write girl in space by the seat of my pants. And I do that so that I enjoy every minute of it, but I also regret it terribly because, I have no idea where I'm going and I often have to rewrite instead of just making simple changes to an outline. So like, yeah, I'm on my, 
10th draft of episode 13, A Girl in Space. And every every draft has been radically different. Uh, they're all, and I'm doing the two-hour movie special. So they're all at least 79 pages. And it's just, it's just a, it's been a, a nightmare, but also a really good experience. So um, yeah, Kelly, how do you, how do you work as, as a writer? I am definitely a planner. Absolutely. I did have to be. Yeah. Well, with historic fiction, it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, I have to, the further back in time you go, the less research there is, the less I have to, so the more I have to make up myself. But Mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is there still are times and dates and, you know, years and things like that. So the story, I, I insist on being as accurate as possible. So I plan out the historical elements and then kind of, I also then plan the like the more personal things like the, what the characters are doing in the the, the story um i did even my horror I, I do plan even my short stories um i plan i start with post-it notes on a blank wall and different colors represent different themes or different parts of the story or things like that um i did recently try to write a short story uh, that was just pantsing i i want because I, I so many people say that they can do it um and i tried and I just couldn't do it. I, I got about halfway through it. And then the story was just going all over the place. And I would have had to have the same as you would have had to have gone back and changed things. Um, I just find planning means that there's less large structural editing afterwards. Mm. It's more like I know I wanted the story to be. There's obviously still editing and things to change. But there's, you know, I don't get to the end of the story and go, oh, I hate this character. Now I'm going to have to go kill them off somewhere. You know, things like that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I don't think there's one right way to do it. Sometimes there's debates that you'll see on Twitter and they're like, oh, it was plotting or pantsing. I think that whatever works best for your type of brain, like exactly. go for it. Exactly. So I well, appreciate I used, that. When I worked, um, when I, sorry, when I was writing, I was also working full time and I've since retired to write full time. But I used to work in finance in um, capital markets. I was a project manager for like trading plat- trading software and um and trading analysis and all kinds of stuff like that and being the project manager i actually brought those skills over to my writing so i so i do treat every book that i write like it's an individual project um i don't go nuts with like oh i need to reach the goals and the the goal posts and the timing and the the date you know that sort of thing um but i do i get on a very strict schedule i try to write a minimum of two thousand words a day and I have it all planned out so that I know exactly what's going on. And I have a rough idea of how long it'll take me to get one. Um, but I do find that, yeah, my work skills definitely contributed. Yeah. I love the idea of a wall full of post-it notes too. I kind of want to do that. It sounds really fun. <laughs> oh, and you get to go out and buy all kinds of colored post-it notes. So come on. <laughs> I'm such an office supply junkie. I, I know. So am I. <laughs> I, think I, use a, I use a whiteboard. So do you? that's my thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I and then uh, I, I, I panic. You panic? I just panic. Yeah, I'm just panic all the time. I'm like, I gotta get this done in eight days. How the hell am I gonna do that? Yeah, so yeah, that's me. And then he goes, says, "Hey, you know, I need that behind the door rip, Brian, from YouTube, and I need it like yesterday. It takes five minutes, Brian." <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> I'm I'm actually a very old school writer. Not only do I use like the planning and the paper, but I also, I don't know, I've lost my video, so I don't know if you can see this, but I actually still use a fountain pen. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. 
Yeah, I have a, this is my spare one, actually. I need to send my other one back because it's it's broken. But yeah, I actually still use my fountain pen and like a notepad. And what I find is um, if I'm heavy into the into the story of the novel, I can write directly onto the keyboard. But if I've taken a couple of weeks off, like I have recently, um, to get back into a novel, I have to go back and read what I've written. And then I find that just the tactile feel of the... The pen on paper helps get my brain kick-started. And then after a couple of pages, I can go back to the keyboard. That's I appreciate exactly how I do it. Yeah, me too. Exactly. I, I'm a, I have a huge binder. Yeah. I, I, I can't do it. I, I, I'm a two-finger typer. I'm just, it would take forever. But, uh, yeah, that, that pen is beautiful. I've always loved fountain pen. Yeah. Now, I would love to get an old school, like, free and quill and, like, this. But I'm left-handed, so it'd be all up my arms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you just feel it. Like the curl thing. Hey, uh, Kelly, when you were originally writing the story, I know you had to have surgery on your, your was it your wrists or your hands? I mean, how did that end up working out for you? Like, is everything better now? Because I know you, you had it. Yeah, I had, um, I, I had something called trigger finger um, in both hands. And I had to, they were looking, so basically, yeah, I was having trouble. It, it was my baby finger in my right hand and my index finger. Um, and they were looking at surgery, but what they did instead was they actually got steroid shots, um, which are extraordinarily unpleasant because I don't know if you see, they stick the needle right up in, like, <laughs> and they're right up inside where the tendon is just to loosen things up. And thankfully it worked on my right hand, um, but I'm actually, I'm ambidextrous. I kind of rely on my left hand more. So it's come back in my other hand. So I am looking at some surgery. Um, I've gotten in touch with a surgeon and I've got a few months to go before it happens, but yeah, I'm going to lose the, I'm going to lose one hand for maybe a couple of weeks. And, oh, that's awful. And she oh, was oh, the story having I, those problems. And it, it, I, it, well, I, I just remembered at the same time I was working on it as well. Um, I think I'd actually, I'd broken my thumb at one point. Um, I fell over and I broke my thumb and I don't know if that was after the story or during the story, but that also put things off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It, it's crazy. You know how, like, well, we kind of like you forget a little bit of the background behind the stories when you get these stories in like April, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something, the things that people had went through in their lives that I was kind of like privileged to find out about <laughs> as we went on. Um, you know, but it's, I mean, you, I mean, when you were writing this, I think you were in a lot of pain, I think from what I remember. So, well, the other stupid thing is, is I've got, um, carpal tunnel just cause I've been using computers for so long. So I sleep in a, uh, I've got a, a hand brace that I sleep in at night just cause everybody who writes probably has it. And, you know, the feeling of getting a numb hand in the middle of the night and putting, putting your hand over the side of the bed and shaking it out. And yeah. Um, and I, I the more I type, yeah, it, it does get painful at times so occasionally I have to wear it during the day as well um I could like it surgery has been suggested but um I'm also a type 1 diabetic and they're a bit more cautious with me with surgery and things so basically um I'm a great fan of red wine for pain <laughs> <laughs> little, glass of, little glass of red wine like King Tut did for his teeth you know I'm, I'm set Perfect. is that a thing King Tut did for his teeth. I don't know if that's like going down a tangent we shouldn't be going down, but now I'm Probably curious. Not, but yeah, apparently, apparently he did. They did. Yeah, that was one of the remedies for like, he had very bad abscesses in his teeth. So, oh, so alcohol. <laughs> I like this. All right. <laughs> this is the fun stuff in history you don't learn in school. You know? 
Well, it's funny because my next Morta Carney book is actually going to take place in Egypt. And we were fortunate enough to, I've been down the Nile and we've been in Cairo and Luxor and we've actually been inside the Great Pyramid. So I've got some good experiences that I can draw on to, to add to that story. Very, very cool. Nice. Very, very cool. Talk about creepy though, man, being inside that thing, when you're actually going up inside it and you look up and you can just see, like you can feel the weight of the pyramids on top, like on top of you. And you can see all of the raw bricks on the inside, the way they were stacked. And it's like, if you stop and think about it, it's, I, there was a little bit of a freak out moment. It's like, okay, I'm not thinking about this. I'm not thinking about how much stone is above me. Um, and then you get inside where the, where the actual burial chamber was. And it's just this, you sort of have to crawl on your hands and knees underneath this little bit, and then you get in. It's actually it's really cool. Because <laughs> it's very claustrophobic to actually get in there because yeah, the tunnel it, is so small. Yeah, it is really claustrophobic. And there's only one tunnel, like one line up. So people coming down and people going up have to share the same like two foot you know, pathway. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty three. If you would like to write a story through that. I know. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> it's funny how many horror ideas are just little stories you hear and pick up. Exactly. Mine was with you talking uh -huh. about needles in no. your fingers like that. Mm -mm. No. Sorry about that. Well, <laughs> I, I can, I can relate with Kelly on the needles because I get cortisones in my right shoulder, left shoulder here. But yeah. when you yeah. were talking about people sharing the same two foot space, that took me so back to a traumatic experience I had in daycare. Hold on. I was in daycare one time in Florida and there was this big, uh, and the great thing is I remember this, like it just happened. That's how bad it was. It's daycare, right? And it's like pre preschool. But um, they had this pyramid, coincidentally, built out of hay bales. And there was only one way to get in and out of there. And I went into this thing. And then all these kids started getting in. And they squished me to the back. And I couldn't get out. And I remember I got so claustrophobic. I just busted my way out in a cave to hay bales down and everybody. But. Boy, I tell you, that was a terror, terrible feeling. I, mm. If you want to talk about it, one of my, two of my fears in this world, I'm claustrophobic and I friggin' hate snakes. Snakes? So, yeah. No, oh, no, I can't do it. No, snakes, gross. Like nature's poop. <laughs> God. Snakes. I want to quote you on that. Nature's poop. By, by all means, by all means. <laughs> so if you want to no. write a really good story for season three... Include snakes. Jason, Jason <laughs> and Jason Jones. Snakes in a very yeah, small container. Okay. I can, I can see you. I can see you going into a room now and just saying, "Let the record show that the prisoner <laughs> chose room two four nine, nature's poop." <laughs> it's quite the possibility. I'm down with it. I'm down with it. It's all good. It's still right, really been an honor to be able to work with all these talented people. So I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure one of these overly exceptionally talented individuals would definitely write a great claustrophobic snake snake nature's poop story. Awesome. I opened up such a door there. That's awesome. <laughs> Literally, figuratively. I love it. We really yeah. need to just make people write stories just to freak you out. That would be one season, just constantly, the whole thing. Just snakes, claustrophobic areas. You know what story nobody oh, should I'm ever write is Winning lottery numbers. Jason, here's a winning lottery numbers story. I'd be like, oh, I'm so terrified of that story. Please send it to me. Winning lottery number story. Yeah. Project yeah. for the world. Classic short story, the lottery. <laughs> oh, 
I've read that. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> You're going to get stoned to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think somebody told me that they submitted a story for season two that is similar to that story. Because they actually oh. went and explained to me, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm familiar with it. But it was, uh, so I think we actually have a store like the lottery. Just replace I, the stones I mean, with that. snakes. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You have to pull it out of like a, uh-huh. like a basket. It's covered, and you got to just stick it in there. And, <laughs> and you, don't, you don't know no. if it's a poisonous no. one or, you know. Jason's I, giving I, us the luck. No, no, not cool. No. <laughs> Come on, I, think we, I think we crossed a line. I think we crossed a line. <laughs> It looked like one of those recycling bins where you just put the cans in. You know, you just stick your hand in there. That's it. That's it. Next season is being produced in 8-bit audio. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, though, I did kind of have a weird snake-type creature in that Bob and Raymond thing. Uh, what was that? Episode 7. So, I mean, you didn't really seem to have a... Yeah, I that that was, yeah, that was so fake, though, didn't you hear? I, like, used, like, a tiger... And I used like a king snake and an elephant. It was such a fake. That wasn't a snake, dude. That wasn't a snake. He made it not a snake. What What <laughs> was that creature supposed to be? I don't know. What was it? It was uh, nature's poop. Nature's poop. Nature's <laughs> <laughs> poop. Apparently, from the size of it, it was nature's been hanging on to that one for a while. <laughs> Does that mean that you're bothered by the basilisk in the Harry Potter movies? Uh, you know what? I don't. I, I'm just going to go ahead and just admit to not really watching those movies. Okay. I mean, Harry Potter I mean, I, is is horror. To, to be honest with you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You know. No, I got nothing. I think I saw the first one where he disappeared into the wall, and then I just never went back to it. I don't know why. I I actually thought it was a neat movie, but I don't know. I don't know. I suck. No, is actually Harry Potter, by the way. Just to see spoilers <laughs> disappeared into the wall. Now he's in the grave. Just in my defense, uh, my uh, Lucy Christina, she um, she steals the TV for Project Runway and Survivor, so I don't have much of an option for anything else. So, okay, by the way, uh, apparently, the last episode 13 score when she read it, she was bawling her eyes out she said she felt like she was in a, a funeral so <laughs> you know oh, no. I guess dude you know what it took her it took her like an hour or so to read that story because she had to keep stopping she had to like keep going she had to start over every time she couldn't read it through so if you're a highly emotional person not the 13th episode may mess you up just FYI bring some tissues I mean, I, you oh know. no! <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's it's it's. I'm excited. I can't I can't wait for that. It's, but I, I I will say, and, and going back um, to that one conversation we had about if, what I experienced, I will say I started to freak out at the ending because you know when you're, it, it, I felt like I was I was going strong, and then all of a sudden when I when I got to the last scene. In the story, I realized I started second guessing myself. Like, I was like, oh man, I wrote all of this. Is it really what it, the story was that I wanted to tell? Is it just convoluted? Do I need to like cut all these scenes out that maybe don't belong? 
And Bo Chapel, who I had mentioned earlier, well, I did send it. I sent it to one other, or I off, I asked one other person to read it. They freaked out, like, no, I don't want to spoil the story. I was like, okay, thanks. See, uh, see? that's the problem. And you might have that situation too. If people are vested in your story, who do you give your story to? To kind of like let you know you're on the right track with something. You can't bounce ideas off of everybody because you know they don't want to read it until it's done. So I finally, you know, I got I asked Bo and I was like, hey Bo, you want to read my story? And he's like, Yeah, man. I'm like, okay. So he read it and he's like, Don't delete what you wanted to delete. And we like talked about it. And that really helped me. It gave me everything I needed. I had probably written that scene three times already deleted it kind of like what you were saying and i i couldn't find what i wanted and after i had that reassurance that i was on the right track i sat down and just pounded out the ending that i wanted i didn't have to really go back and 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 heavily you know delete paragraphs and things like i really found where i wanted to go with it and i finished it and i was crying you know i was like oh, oh you know, my gosh you know, and because and, that's, I don't know, I was, and that's the other thing you think, okay, well, I'm obviously invested in the story. So you don't know if you're crying, but maybe someone else is going to be like, this is stupid, you know. So I mean, you, you kind of go through that. And so the fact that um, I, I finished the story, you know, I said, I said to Bo, Bo, you want to finish it? Like, you want to see the ending? Or do you want to be surprised? And he's like, Oh, you know, I'll show it to me. And then, you know, and he made his comments on, he, you know, gave me his thumbs up and, uh, you know, um, and then I think Chrissy was the, his, Jason's wife, Chrissy, uh, who is Lucy and doing mm -hmm. a great job. And I knew that this would, she is in the 13th episode and we've been kind of messing her up a lot lately in the story. Um, so, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, she felt really strongly about it. So it was, it was fun, but yeah, you don't want to, I mean, that's the thing. Like when I was doing those little, you know, the little intros to everything, I didn't really feel as much pressure hmm. um, when you write a much larger piece that kind of does not only concluding a, a story arc for the first season, but then kind of builds on the second season. Yeah. You don't have a way to go back, you know, that's yeah. it. <laughs> so it's commitment. Yeah. <laughs> so but you know what once it's done it's like it's like everything that was that burden on your shoulders is is gone and you can just breathe and you know so it's it's nice so basically what you've just told me is that if i want to know how it all ends it's it's Bo that i need to bribe hmm. or you could just be a voice actor and you'll just get the story <laughs> Yeah, I can email it to you. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, these are these are all truths. These are all truths. I will say that uh, if anybody has liked what we've done in season one so far, and and I'm telling you they're going to like the the final episode. Brian did a brilliant job on it. But uh, season two, season two is going to be awesome. It's going to make this one look terrible. So I think I hope everybody should be ready for that. Season two is going to be good. I'm very excited. I'm very very excited. Me too. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I, I do. Uh, I do think, though, we do have some, um, you know, episodes that were pretty hard on people. Hmm. Uh, episode two with the the teddy bear was really hard. We learned to put disclaimers. Hmm. Um, 
And I think that we discovered too, that even though I felt like we handle things, I think in a, in a, in a way that wasn't like just trying to shock people, you know, but I do think that, I do think that we learned a lot about how people process information and Mm. people, I started to get the idea that not everybody wants to listen to a podcast and feel completely broken from it or feel bad about a situation. Um, You know, episode two with the teddy bear had the little girl in it. Her parents are terrible people. They killed the little girl. People were like, whoa, you can't do that. And we're like, well, we did. (laughs) Right. And like, what are the limits of horror, you know, and and who sets those limits? And and it's just, um, can I ask like, how do you want people to feel when they listen to your show? What do you think, Jason? (laughs) (laughs) He just laughed. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Brian's the nice guy. He's the nice guy. Me, I was like, yeah, this is empty as possible. <laughs> as empty as possible. I love it. You got you gotta understand, like when I started doing this, like originally it was just gonna I was gonna be doing everything because I didn't know that I was gonna be blessed with these wonderful uh, wonderful voice actors, extremely awesome authors, and then people like Brian and and, and Graham and and JM and Brooks and this, I, I didn't think that I had no idea that any of this was even possible. And it happened, and I'm still kind of like, what what? What really? What you know? I mean, I don't know how to really react to it. And it was—I promise you. Thank God for all of y'all, and thank whoever uh, you guys that uh, Brian is here because he definitely leveled the play. He definitely was the missing piece because this was going to be a dark, dark, dark series. And uh, Brian's like, "Nah, man. You know, nah." And I was like, "Okay, Brian, sounds good." So, <laughs> I mean. I mean how dark can you be when you put haiku in stuff? You know, like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we, we definitely had a lot of fun. Um, both the fact that Bob um, has that very, you know, I didn't want him to be like the warden who just has this, like, kind of nasty, chaotic, you know, personality. Bob's more like, you know, that guy who just focuses on his job. He's got tunnel vision like this. And suddenly he has a weird relationship that kind of grows from Raymond's reactions to everything, which might be a little bit different than what he's dealt with in the past. Assuming of course, that Bob has dealt with other people in the gray rooms and he's not a a rookie, you know, but the idea that, you know, it, if it's completely dark in my mind and there's no coming back from it, then people are just going to be like, all right, I can, I can watch this and I can feel terrible about myself in life or I can watch something that's going to, you know, kind of make me feel bad, but kind of good. I mean, the big loops kind of like that, right? It Mm -hmm. it tears you to pieces and you're like, oh, wow, you know, I'm going to listen to more, but it's different too, because it's not just completely mind, you know, it doesn't completely remove your soul out of your body. It doesn't. If we had all episode two with that poor little girl and stuff, it would be, people would not want to, to listen to that. So I do think that we have things and I, I Dang think, it. what? <laughs> oh. I, I just popped in and said, dang it. Oh yeah. You can't do that, Jason. 
Um, but you know, I do think that we're we're darker than the Twilight Zone, but we still have that sort of like mystery that the Twilight Zone has. Uh, we've always kind of used the, the idea that it's sort of like um, Quantum Leap and the f- fact that the guy is becoming the character in the story. Um, and that is actually the, the thing that um, Kelly was talking about. It was our fault that, that there was a little bit of a misunderstanding in the beginning. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, when I read the first uh, draft that she had, it was great. I mean, it really was the, the story that, that, you know, we did. But the, the matter was is she thought that I was telling people that they had to write the gray rooms into all their stories. And that's where we kind of hit that thing. And I realized right. like, wow, that's my fault. Yeah. You know, I remember, yeah, I remember. and I felt so bad. I was like, Kelly, I was like, I'm really sorry that I miss, I misled you. You don't have to write the gray rooms in this because we don't expect you to know what the heck the gray rooms are. And she's like, yeah. oh, thank God. You know, <laughs> I'm so relieved. Let me go and like just make some changes and add on a little bit more. And it worked out perfectly. But that your, your your help with that was not an issue. Listen, I've had people read me out online for, you know, having I left the, I left a potato in my book by mistake. Someone was eating a potato in Anglo-Saxon times. And it was like, oh, ah, 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 ah. you were so nice to work with. So don't worry about it. They, they didn't have potatoes in Anglo-Saxon times? No, nah, they didn't come over to England until, well, I don't know, when was it? Walter Raleigh? So Elizabethan times, so around 1600. Oh, man. I couldn't live. I couldn't live. I love potatoes and chips, uh-huh. fries, tots. Yeah, but you wouldn't have known what they were, so you wouldn't have missed them. <laughs> you probably... You know what? That's that's logic right there. True. Well done. That's right. True. True. The that truth to me, speaks. That to me is a horror story. The lack of potato. That's not okay. Right? They had Brussels sprouts. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't mind Brussels sprouts. Yeah. yeah. Brussels sprouts are good. I put them on the grill. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Everybody. Oh, no. I hate Brussels. I'm sorry. If that's mom, a heresy. I'm it's sorry. Heresy. Yeah. <laughs> watching this. And the door just this. opened to another gray room. There you go. <laughs> it's the world without potatoes. It's all Brussels sprouts. Well, you know, episode 12 is called The Gardener. <gasps> I'm going to definitely have to listen to that because I'm, 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 I study medieval medicine, but I also study medieval gardens and sort of they use a lot of a lot more plant-based medicine. So I'm definitely listening to that one. That's a, that's a man in Liza's story. He's a, a writer that's um, featured quite a lot in um, – the no sleep podcast. Yeah. So, uh, and he, you know, and, and I really, really like, man, I was actually talking uh, to him th- uh, today about it. So it's, it's kind of neat, you know, letting every writer know, like their stories coming up and, you know, uh, we get so excited. Yeah. And like, what a cool sense of community you develop too. I mean, you have all these amazing writers and they all get to work together on this project. Like that's just so cool. It, it's fun. Yeah, it, it, it is. I've gotten to learn so much. Uh, my favorite, I think, is still Renfield Rasputin. We got him on the show. And if you looked to one of the sides, like, right, like, you know, it would be like basically right in the very, you know, through your peripheral vision almost, you know, you'd see right at the edge of his camera, um, you'd see this, this skeleton, like a medical cadaver kind of thing. 
And it, it was uh, just sitting on like a couch or a chair or something. And it was wearing a wedding dress. And we're like, what is this story? Like, what's going on here? And he tells us that that um, is his mother's wedding dress on, on this, you know, skeleton. And uh, it was just, it was fantastic. I mean, we're like, whoa. You know? Okay. I was yeah. like, maybe it's Miss Havisham, you know? I don't know. <laughs> the last person whose podcast didn't work out for me. I, kind of, I have to admire his commitment, though, because my skeleton just sits, sits over on the chair in the other room, and he's naked, so I really got to get it. I got to up my game. He needs a wedding dress. Yeah, wait, wait. You have a skeleton, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want a skeleton. Come on. Me, too. I know. Brian, Brian, I would get a skeleton. Next time, I'm going to have, like, three or four skeletons hanging by me. That's it. It's just gonna Maybe it may only be that big, but it'll still count. You know, I love that. Could that be a uh, top tier Patreon reward? <laughs> you know what? I know what? New tier. New tier. I'm bringing up a new tier right now. That's, uh, I, like that's... I feel like we've learned so much today. <laughs> well, you know, that's actually, I wanted, to, I wanted to mention that, you know, you were talking about the community that we've grown here. And that ties back to, you know, when I originally started doing this, I wasn't expecting anything. Mm-hmm. I was hoping I'd get a thousand downloads. I was hoping that somebody might like my idea. And then, you know, I had Brian come on and he took the idea and he expound, expanded it. And then uh, Graham came in and then he started helping find all these exceptionally talented voice actors. It's just, it's just amazing. And to hear that, like, you know, Kelly said she was excited that her story was coming up. That, that right there, that boy, that just tickles because as the audio guy, you know, I, I spend, you know, days, hours, weeks on these things. Yeah. And and my number one goal as the audio guy is to make it as close to a movie as I can. And when, and I'm never satisfied with what I do. I'm pretty sure anybody who does this kind of stuff shares that sentiment. You know, I mean, I'm happy with the product. I'm always like, God, oh, it could have been, you know, a blockbuster. This is going direct straight to DVD. But, you know, to hear the excitement come out of everybody that's the exciting part for me as an audio guy. You know, hear that they're excited. It's like, okay, this is cool. This is fun, man. Everybody's really into it. So, that I, I, again, I appreciate the community. I appreciate everybody that's helped me create this because uh, it, it, the quality it is is not just one person. It's the whole community all together. So. Mm-hmm. I love it. That's why there's an S in rooms. All yes. I kind of thought about that as, you know, maybe – Maybe all of us that have submitted stories into the gray rooms, maybe uh, we're all writers in prison somewhere being forced <laughs> to create these doors. You know, literally, like I always thought that'd be kind of a cool, cool idea. Like a twist, yeah. <laughs> it's been nice working with you too, Brian. Oh. Prison, huh? <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, we, I love it. We, have a, we have a good time. Um, one thing that, that might be uh, kind of good too would be uh, – you know, uh, see if anybody has any future projects coming up and, you know, uh, how about Alistair, you got anything going on? Um, I've got, I've got a variety of different bits and bobs, uh, come through. I've just been added to the cast of, uh, the call of the flame podcast, which is a fantasy podcast. I just recorded episode eight for them. Uh, I've been playing a Robin hood type character in that, uh, be in episode thirteen of the Grey Rooms. I've also I've also developed the prototype of a new Grey Rooms shirt, which I've been sporting for this episode. Oh, nice! That's <laughs> awesome. 
His shirt says the Graham rooms and it's perfect. <laughs> we love Graham Rowett. He, he does so oh. much for us. Oh. <laughs> oh, so you got to send me a link to that. I'm buying like <laughs> 20 of them. I'm telling you, that's the best. I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll send you the link to where I got it made. Oh, we wanted to do that for April Fool's Day, actually. Change everything to the Graham rooms and just never... We're going, we're going to change I'm, the intro to the podcast. And I'm that. really glad you didn't because I had this made in like February when you told me I was going to be on it behind the door. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Kelly, what, what, what do you have going on? Uh, let's see. At the moment, I have, I'm, I'm actually querying agents for a historical fiction novel I've written about um, the wife of Edward the Confessor which will mean nothing to anybody here except possibly <laughs> Alistair. Um, I'm writing another book that takes place in Merovingian France. And I, uh, I just released an article. I also write, okay, so I have an account, a, a, an alter ego called Lady Matilda. And I actually have a medieval dress that I wear and it's sort of a wimple and we took pictures. And, oh my gosh. Um, and she writes articles on how to manage your, your manners and how to entertain during the Black Death. And they're like in the, in the format of like an old 50s women's advice column. Um, so I've kind of revamped the website. And I wrote one for Easter that I put up a couple of days ago. So that's out there for people to read. And it's, it's very tongue in cheek. It's very satirical. Um, I've, I've gotten a few comments People were a little bit offended because sometimes um, Lady Matilda does sometimes make fun of certain religious aspects of life back then. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm looking into maybe gathering up all the articles I've got. They're just they're available for free on my website, and you know I'm looking maybe gathering those up and maybe getting those out into a book, which might be kind of cool. Very exciting! My gosh, nice and uh, Sarah. You're always busy. You always have things going down. <laughs> oh, me? Um, yeah, I just gave my first TEDx talk, which was quite an experience. Um, I'm working on the finale, like we've said. I've been working on the finale of Girl in Space season one for a billion years. Uh, I have a writing retreat with my sister coming up um, in which we're going to outline. I'm looking at Kelly's face. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah nice. um, writing retreats. Uh, so my sister and I are going to be writing together for 10 days. And uh, I'm going to outline season two of Girl in Space. So I'm actually going to have an idea of what's going to happen going in, which is new for me. Um and then uh, working on a new audio drama that I'm not like really talking about yet because I don't want to make it official and have yet one more thing that people are waiting for for me. Uh, and then I have some uh, some exciting things with Girl in Space coming up uh, that involve larger media that I can't talk about quite yet. So, <laughs> so I'm really excited. Life is good, um, and I'm just. I'm so excited to be a part of this community with all of you and to watch you create and succeed. Like, it's just, what a cool experience. Yeah. That's, it's kind of neat. Like I know Jason and I, we were, we were watching kind of from afar, you know, you, you, know, you guys at PodCon and just doing all these wonderful, you know, uh, having these experiences where you're meeting all these people and just kind of, you know, it looked like a lot of fun. It looked like you guys were just learning off of one another and just kind of doing all this. You know, we, we definitely want to jump in there. For Join us. Yes. Oh, yeah. Come to podcast. Oh, yeah. Definitely salty, man. Oh, we're trying. We're Good. trying. Yeah. Good. So we'll, 
you know, once uh, they they release the date and stuff, you know, we'll be making okay. our plans. But that's that's exciting. I, I'm waiting for Growing Space to end. I did see on your uh, your Discord, um, you know, that some things were coming up, and you know, I guess uh, you know. So we're it's really great. We we we're starting to live in this time now where podcasts are. Um, just you know, the black tapes is going on. What NBC and more uh-huh. Amazon and just all these uh, girl in space apparently is you know doing something. We don't know what secrets, uh, secret things. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's it's great. Like people are taking notice of podcasts, um, and it goes to show that no matter what ideas you have, um, keep keep your dreams a lot. You know, make your podcast happen. You never know what's going to come out of it. And, and people, they want to see, you know, themselves represented. They want to see um, their their genres represented. Or, you know, if you ever thought to yourself, you know, writing a novel is going to be like a really long and crazy experience, break it up into a podcast. I mean, yeah, release it serially. Yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll work out. So... Thank you. Uh, thank yeah, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah. Don't give up, man. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, for one, I want to thank you guys for dealing with uh, me. I wasn't able to get off today, so I've been. I apologize for you know kind of being partially absent. You know, I mean, I was here the whole time, even though you didn't see me the whole time. And I'm pretty sure my sound's not the best, so I do apologize on that. But um. It's been an absolute honor to get to talk to Kelly because I, I, I reached out. You were one of the first ones I reached out to a billion years ago. And and your story is phenomenal. I fell in love with your story. I, I think I specifically told – I'm pretty sure I told Brian that this was my favorite one because I really mm-hmm. loved sitting there. I just could listen to it. As a matter of fact, if I may, uh, before the patron release, like two days before the patron release – I was sitting out on my front porch at the bonfire. We had, you know, I sit in my fire pit quite a bit, and I have my bourbons, and I do a lot of thinking on the podcast and take notes and stuff. And um, we were listening to your story, and my neighbor came over, who was not a huge podcast fan, and he sat down and he asked about it, and I let him listen to your story, and I tried to stop it. And they said, I don't want you to have to listen to this the whole time, you know, because he's not in the podcast. And he got mad at me. He's like, turn that back on. That's and he awesome. was in. And he, he loved Alistair's voice. He was sold on Alistair and then the story. And I, I think actually he's a fan now because of it. But um, And then Alistair, dude, you, you killed it. You always do. It's been an absolute pleasure having you around. And I truly cannot wait to see what the future holds with you and the Grey Room fan straight up. And then, Brian, you know I love you, man. You know I love you. Brian, you guys, has really kept my head on right, man, because I've stressed out so much. And Brian's like, whatever, dude, just shut up. I'm like, okay, all right, you're right. Sounds that's, like you guys have good balance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. It's uh, Brian's definitely been uh, been instrumental in the success in this. And, uh, and he's a great guy, too. So it's uh, not just a good partner, but I think I've developed quite a good friend out of this. And it's it's been a really great experience all around. And then to finally get to see and talk to a person who I actually admire. I really appreciate your work. And uh, it's kind of funny you said TED Talks because the wife was saying, she was on TED Talks. She was on TED Talks. I said, I know, I know. So, but uh, it's thanks for coming to do this, Sarah. Oh, thank Seriously. you. And, uh, you're you're a uh, you're um you're 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 kind of a trailblazer too, in a sense that you know people get to get to follow in your footsteps and hopefully 
uh, get to experience some of the things that you get to experience with the work. I know it doesn't come free. You got to work hard for it, but, uh, but so. way Thank to be you. an inspiration, way to be an inspiration. So we appreciate you being there. Thank you. I appreciate you guys so much. And thank you for this opportunity to co-host or guest host or whatever it is I'm doing today. Um, you're so wonderful. This has been a delight. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. So thank you all um, for your insight and your wisdom and your creative input. Like this is just such a delight to do. So thank you all. I'll be in touch too. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> All right. Ask me those podcast questions because I have answers. So, yes, ma'am. All right. Yes, All right. Well, hey, guys, uh, you know, thank you again, everyone, so much for taking time out and, uh, you know, doing this. Uh, you know, it, it helps us, it helps all of our listeners. Um, really, I mean, how many times do we, have we heard um, from some of our fans that just kind of sit there every week? They get to learn things about you know, what we're doing, um, mm-hmm. making the podcast. They get to learn about the authors, learn about the voice actors, and and you know, and everybody that is in here tends to be working around and doing other things with other projects. So it really helps people to you know put a, a, a face and a personality to all these names that they hear about. Community has always been a big thing for me. Um, you know, we, we started with the Twitter, uh, now we're on discord, um, the show notes, of the episodes, we have all the links on there. We have a Facebook, um, you know, the emotional support group is what we call our group, uh, funny story awesome. of a man in who wrote the story, uh, for coming up the gardener. Uh, I was so, I was so, uh, out of my element when I made the Facebook originally, I called it the great rooms fan club. And he goes and instant messages me and says, Brian, you can't create your own fan club. <laughs> So I was like, oh, you're right. That sounds really bad. All right. Emotional support group. There you go. And uh, it's been fun meeting everybody and hearing their their comments. Um, If you are a patron, please look at that uh, little thread we have about how to torture Todd and wipe him out. Alistair wants to die in a great way. Yes. Inventive ways. Yes. (laughs) It's just part of the part of the fun with the great rooms because we're all and we always do this with a smile on our face. Sarah Ruth Thomas once made a comment that when we first started, uh, you know, we got her to um, start doing uh, voice work for us. She thought we were too nice to do horror. So uh, <laughs> maybe that says something. Yeah. Case, I don't know. <laughs> oh, again, yeah, maybe this is all like, it's all surface. It's all surface. You guys are genuinely oh. wonderful. So don't, don't forget to, uh, if you could, uh, if you are listening to this in audio format, or even if you're not like uh, in the show notes, we're going to include a link to a survey for Libsyn because we're trying to get ourselves. We're putting a survey out there to reach our demographics. So for advertisers, so we would like your help to maybe fill that out so we could fulfill our needs for our demographics and maybe we can help get some uh, sponsors for the show. That'd oh, be yeah. wonderful. Cool. It's been, it's been in the last two. So, uh, you know, you can definitely click a link on there and um, it's an easy hyperlink. So just tap, tap, you're done. You know? Um, all right, guys. Well, Hey, thank you, uh, Sarah, again, for uh, taking the time yes. doing this. Thank you. You and uh, later, Max. Cheers, Chappies. Have a good one. This is a, a great Kelly. Thank you for sharing your husband with us. For, uh, thank you for your story. Uh, Alistair, again, you, you're the man. 
Yeah. And, uh, thank you for everybody listening to us. We'll uh, we'll see you um, probably Easter time. If it's a holiday for you, I'll have a happy holiday. If it's a regular day for you, day off, hey, enjoy it. We'll see you guys. Uh, you all have a great uh, a great rest of your weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Oh, and by the way, um, Bob is actually uh, part of Join us each week after every episode for another edition of Behind the Door. <laughs>